0: Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people with the power of your love, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Shock value can prove a point faster than anything. When we say something shocking, people take note and remember what we've said. Mae West, the classic Hollywood icon, once said, Those who are easily shocked should be shocked more often. (laughs) Interesting premise, the same person who also said, When I choose between two evils, I always like to try the one that I've never tried before. This same person knew how to evoke a response from people. And people laughed and watched her movies and kept talking about her one-line zingers for years to come. Shock is a useful rhetorical device. It helps people remember. Why else do we throw around slogans all the time? Remember about three years ago, there was one that everybody was saying, we are the 99%. And then there's all these new hashtags and slogans like basket of deplorables or alternative facts or fake news or a whole host of other sayings. Shocking statements evoke memory and response. But shock with relatively no substance does little to change anything. In fact, people might talk about it, the slogan or whatever, or they might laugh about it, or they might get really angry about it. But as much as things are shocked superficially into changing, the reality is they're going to stay the same. Substance, real substance is badly needed. Jesus knew this. Today we're on part three of four parts of his Sermon on the Mount. We started two weeks ago with the Beatitudes. And we talked about how they serve as a guide to call us. As a call for us to live a Beatitudes life. Where we go out and bless the world. Especially in the parts of the world that hurt. And last week... The second part of this Sermon on the Mount was all about us being salt of the earth and light to the world. Now, I know that Nicholas preached on the presentation, so he, but he alluded to this. Jesus tells his apostles that they are to bring in God's light, in fact, that they are god's light for the world and so they're called to be bearers of this light and love from god to offer it up to god and also to reveal it to the whole world but today the tone actually shifts Jesus is still talking in the same sermon at the same time and place he was talking a few weeks ago. But the tone shifts and he's continuing his sermon on the mount. But at this point, he's reteaching the principles of the Ten Commandments. How the first half relate to how we relate to God and and, and actually the second half, how the commandments teach us how to relate to one another. Jesus' harsh language today it's real. It has bite. It kind of hurts. He's holding up a mirror to us. He's not condemning us. He's calling us into that life of Beatitudes living, a life of living as a blesser, that life where we bless the world by our actions and how we live by who we are because we let God form us Into the person whom we were created to be. The harsh language is important because it shocks us into realizing what is possible. It shocks us into what and whom we might become, both good and bad. It shows us a way to see ourselves and what and whom we might become. But Jesus' shock is not without substance. He has painted a picture of what the world could actually be like when we draw nearer to him and to the very heart of God. And that he offers the teaching we hear today to help us dig in and do the work the inner work of love of God and love of self, and the outer work of loving our neighbors as ourselves. This isn't, notice today, this is not nostalgic language. It's hard language. It's not cheap faith. It's real faith in practice. It's a wake up call that yes, God is going to love you through the thick and thin of all that happens in your life. But this life of being a disciple is one that requires us to focus. We cannot fall asleep, we cannot sleepwalk. We have to stay awake, pay attention and to intentionally follow the life of blessing that Jesus is offering. Now let me pause for a second and say that this scripture has been used to punish people in the past. Some churches take it on themselves to judge people whom they consider do not live biblically. Other societies... Our own, many years ago, have used such harsh words to elevate themselves as morally superior to others. And yet, others have even used such passages to inflict violence on other human beings. All in the name of Jesus. This is wrong and misguided. This is evil and a misrepresentation about what Jesus taught. It's just taking the shock but ignoring the substance. It's not good. And we have to be so careful about this because we can also inflict evil on others if we aren't true to the Spirit of God and the true depth of Christ's love. Okay, that being said, the teaching that we receive today is real Our faith has to be more than emotion. It has to be more than this kind of feel-good nostalgia of, oh, isn't that nice and pleasant? Our faith has to be practiced daily. We are called into incorporating love from God into every fiber of our being, every day of our lives. We're called to incorporate God in all we do. And doing this, we'll build up our character. We will build up a base of God's wisdom. We will get wisdom. We will build up God's wisdom within us and we will be stronger to be known to others as followers of Jesus and the real love that he has for the world. This real love will then be revealed to the world through us. But it takes work and it takes practice and persistence this isn't easy not at all we're not the first people to think that it's it's difficult after all look at what we heard in our second reading from those early followers of jesus that lived in the city of corinth our passage that we heard from first corinthians You know, the Corinthians lived in a modern city for their time, and they welcomed people. They saw people, unlike a lot of places, they saw people from all over the Mediterranean. And they knew the religious ideas of countless other traditions. And yet, they started learning their own, but they struggled. They struggled to recognize their identity in the midst of all the commotion. They struggled to recognize their identity as Christ followers. Do we do the same thing often? Probably every day at some point? And so Paul is writing to correct them and tell them that he's trying to ease them into into this practice of following Jesus. He compares it as feeding children with milk and not solid food because a liquid diet is all they can handle at this point. Paul is urging the Corinthians to dive in and to begin to see their identity as Christians in their religiously plural society. But more than that, Paul's not advocating them to necessarily take on a label. Paul wants them to realize that the gift that they've been given in knowing and loving Jesus is the greatest gift that they could receive. So he wants them to receive it. This passage was something I studied in college, and I remember my college theology professor, who was a very animated character, he gave a lecture on this passage, and I remember him standing up on top of his desk and screaming at us and saying, okay, you say that you're Christian, then act like one. I'll never forget it. You say that you're Christian, then act like one. Hmm. But how? Even even now when I hear this, I think of how some people who call themselves Christians would rather cast shock and unsubstantiated judgment upon all of us gathered here and call us names like relativists or therapeutic deists, or call us as some type of liberal, godless, Christless Episcopalians. <laughs> but really, but what strikes me is that the people who claim to follow Jesus, these people who claim to follow Jesus, know the shock value of his teaching, but do not seem to demonstrate any evidence about practicing his substantive, deep, and abiding love. Their behavior hurts. It's destructive. It's tough. And you know what? It spills over into a lot of drama that we're seeing playing out in our world right now. A lot of it is because we have either boxed Jesus into this realm of happy, clappy, nostalgia over here, feel good. Or we've somehow championed the judgment of the Lord and put ourselves in charge instead of putting God in charge. We have to view our walk with Jesus as one where we build a life. That we build a life alongside Jesus, where we walk into our vocation, we walk into our true calling of who we're supposed to be with Jesus, in the same way that we would build up or nurture a garden. As Paul says, he writes, The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each, for we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. Notice how this is relational. We work together as God's servants. Together as God's servants, tending a great field of blessing and building up a kingdom of God that looks very different from the world in which we live in today. We live this life and we walk this journey of faith together. Jesus isn't casting judgment today. He's helping us build ourselves up. He is building us up in love. That's why at the end of the gospel reading we hear today that Jesus says for let us to he says for us to let your word be yes, yes or no, no. Yes, yes or no, no. You You as a beloved child of God and we as the beloved people of God are fully loved and we are enough. We have been given power to be God's people. Our baptism has made us God's children and we have been given power, great power and so through life when we respond out of an open heart to the challenges of the world in clear and direct ways, but with an open heart. Our response is a beloved response, a response of blessing. It's an informed response. It's the response of a disciple. Not a shocking response that lacks substance. It's the response as a disciple. So the next time, instead of being given a choice to choose between two evils, maybe you'll look for choices where you'll have to choose between two ways to love. And you can try to offer God's love in a way you've never tried before. And then see what happens.